May the Lord, in his kindness, strengthen the consent you have declared before the church and graciously bring to fulfillment his blessing within you. What God joins together, let no one put asunder. Yesterday, a little bit after two o'clock, we had a couple who got married right here in front of the altar and they exchanged their vows. We had the same thing happen last week. We'll have the same thing happen next week. And after they had exchanged their vows, the priest said this, what God joins together, let no one put asunder. You know, it calls to mind the whole theology of marriage. Remember, in the beginning, in Genesis, there was just Adam, right? And Adam wasn't a guy. Adam stood for humanity in this one person, right? And there he is in the garden with all this life and beauty and drama and action around him, but it wasn't enough. St. John Paul II called this original solitude. He realized he was so different from everything else there. So remember, he pulls the bone from the side. God takes a bone from his side and builds it up into a woman. So man, who was one, is now two. And he's not capable of doing everything that a human being is capable of doing anymore until he meets with his complementary partner. Right? And then he's complete again when they're brought together back into that unity through the vows of marriage. This is why a man leaves father and mother and clings to his wife. They are no longer two then, but one flesh. What God joins, no one may separate. This idea of a couple becoming one is not just pretty or poetic language. They are not just two people fused together, shoved together by convention. They are made one in the one man, Jesus Christ. And in this, you married couples out there become the model for the whole church, how we are all supposed to live. You are called to radically open yourself to the other person, to give yourself completely to the one to whom you made your vows. The way that reflects on all of us is that we, the church, are the bride of Christ and Christ is the bridegroom. And as Christ the bridegroom so thoroughly did and still does give himself completely and wholly to us, his bride, you know, gives himself his life. He gave his life. He gave us his family, the Father, Mary. He gave us his spirit, his inheritance, and today, his body and blood, soul and divinity, everything about himself he gives to us, including forgiveness for when we don't give ourselves back. And we are called as the bride to give ourselves back to him, to become one with Christ. And here is how closely we are to be identified in our unity with Christ. It's the same thing with marriage. Have you ever heard it said, maybe you've said it, I love my kids so much. I just can't stand the person that she married, right? She could do so much better. Besides, he's kind of a jerk. The truth is we can't really separate them out. They are one. To hate the spouse is to hate something about the person that you think you love. 
Now, of course, we can hate a sin. We can hate the failing. We can hate the terrible thing that the other person has done. But this other person is one with your kid. She chose this person to become with, to become one with, for better or for worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health. So in some way, what you love and hate of one, you love and hate of the other. Of course, as the situation is reversed, you lucked out. Man, my kid married way above his pay grade. Maybe he's better than I thought. All right. Now, the whole faith structure is built on this idea of unity. Jesus makes this explicitly clear when he tells us what his mission, that we would be one with Christ as Christ is one with the Father. It's pretty deep unity. And as they are one, we are to be one in God. And not only are we to be individually one with God, we are to be one together in Jesus Christ. Paul, in the second reading today, talking about those who are far off and those who are close, we're talking about the Jews and the Gentiles coming together to be one in Christ. And these two people, he said, are not just fused together, and they're not just all shoved together. Those old identities are gone, and they are made one in Jesus Christ, being made one in the wedding feast of the Lamb. So what is understood about how we are to relate as husband and wife, how we are supposed to understand how the Jews and the Gentiles come together is also what we are supposed to understand about how we come together here today. Look around this church. These are the people with whom we are made one, the ones we are called to love, you and me to love all, to care for all. Now, naturally, we break down into smaller groups. And there's healthy ways of doing this, and there are unhealthy ways of doing this. There are those for whom you are more responsible, right? Your spouse, your children, your family, those close to you, your neighbors, the parish, the people at work. Though we are called to love all, these are our main ministries, and from there we radiate out. I remember in the seminary, we had rector conferences, and all the seminarians would come together and sit down, and he would give us an, an annual talk about something as the year progressed on, and he says, you know, in a very special way, you are going to be married to the church, and your parish is now your primary responsibility. Your family comes second. This is your primary family now. I remember thinking, oh good, I look forward to telling that to mom. One of my best friends gave me this ring to wear, and she said, I like my priest to wear rings, because it reminds them that this is their responsibility now. This is their family. So all those are healthy ways. These group distinctions become unhealthy when they become isolated, when there are groups within the Christian community that kind of sets themselves apart and above. In a not-so-dramatic example, when St. Mary closed and we added a mass here and they came over here from various people in the parish, we would use this type of language. Well, at our mass, 
as opposed to their, and then at their mass, and went, no, 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 no. There is no my mass and their mass here at St. Sebastian. There are masses at St. Sebastian, and one of them you happen to attend. Yeah, but I'm trying to get a part, across a point. No, 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 no. We have to understand this first. We are one here. There are not sub-communities within St. Sebastian. Now, naturally, there are those within the body of the church with whom we are supposed to be one, that we don't particularly like. But it's true of ourselves, too. There are parts about ourselves that we don't particularly like. There are things about myself that I don't particularly, particularly like, ways of handling things that I end up regretting because of my uh, uh, personality sometimes. In some ways, I wish I was a little bit more Irish. The Irish are great at this, and I kind of envy the Irish on this. Joe Robinson, our seminarian intern, wave Joe. He's about as Irish as you get, and I love seeing him uh, talk to somebody who's not giving him an easy time. And he just continues smiling and encouraging them and, and trying to win them over. You know, Irish diplomacy, telling someone to go to hell in a way that makes them look forward to the trip, right? <laughs> but I am thoroughly Slovenian. And among our tendencies is just to shut down when somebody is, uh, uh, wrong, we see is wronging us. And even as I'm doing that, I'm going, I know this is wrong, I know this is wrong, but I'm doing it anyway. I think that's why Slovenians are so happy. We just don't deal with people who bother us. But if you do not learn to accept and love yourself with all your faults, how are you going to live and how are you going to find joy? And so it is with this body of Christ in which we are, in whom we are supposed to be one. We strive to accept those parts of us, of this body, that we don't particularly like. The agents of no and can't. they angry. Those who think they are privileged and above all. The poor. The mentally unstable. There was a lady a while back who used to come here. And a very, very difficult person with whom to deal. Actually, when, when she was okay, and I'm assuming when she was on her medication, she was delightful to have around. Kind of glad she was here. When she was off them, whoo, the anger and the yelling. And there was nothing you could do. One day she was back in the sacristy uh, just yelling at people. And somehow I eased her outside. And I said, call 911. And we were outside talking, and I was trying every trick in the book, and nothing was working. She just got angry and angrier, so I just started shouting Hail Marys at her. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou. Over and over and over, and until she calmed down, and then we would try to talk, and then she'd take off again. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. She'd calm down. And after a while, things calmed down, and I said, here are your three choices. Mass is about to start. You can go in there and pray the Mass. You can leave, or you can sit here with me until the police come. And she calmed down, and she went in. You know, what do you do when you encounter someone within the body of Christ that is just this impossible to deal with, or just doesn't work with you? Do you get angry? Do you banish them? Or do you just get really, really sad? How would I want to be retreated, treated? 
This person represents those parts of me that I don't like and that God loves anyway. And so we do as much as we can to love as we hope that we would be loved if we acted similarly. Here is the alternative that we become little islands of relationships with Jesus, me and Jesus, individuals only worried about our own desires, my rights, my hurts, my victimizations, my hates and likes. A church of 1.2 billion people all self-concerned. That's a definition of hell. What this church is calling us to is to be 1.2 billion people striving to become one, striving to serve each other, to heal our divisions, striving to serve, striving to love, striving to be one with Christ in good times and in bad, in sickness and in health. If that sounds attractive to you, then you understand that joy and meaning and purpose do not come from finding someone to serve our every need and my every win, but that I have found someone to sacrifice for, someone in something worth living for and dying for. Around the church today, to help celebrate our 90th anniversary, we have set out our parish's relics. Most of them are fragments of the remains of saints. Most of them were martyred for Christ and his church, for you and me. They loved, they sacrificed, and they died for others. You know, we don't have one relic, not one, of someone who watched TV reruns all day, only prayed when they needed something, and did their best to safeguard their comforts. But we do have a great respect and love for those who sacrifice for us because they loved us for who we are and inspire us to be better versions of ourselves, to live in unity, and to show that we can love too.